you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 1 through 23 this morning. John 20, 1 through 23. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, that's okay. You can open up to page 1249 in the Pew Bible in front of you. 1249 in the Pew Bible. And as you're opening up there, I want to ask you if you would uh, to pray uh, for myself and my wife Whitney. And then also for Jessica and Ben Ponder, we're leaving uh, this weekend to go to Portland, Oregon uh, on a trip. We're calling it sort of a vision trip uh, to meet that weekend, uh, including next Sunday. Woody will be preaching. Uh, We're going to be meeting with church planners. We'll be spending the weekend with East Bridge Church there in Portland. Some folks from South Carolina that are planting a church in Portland, and we're going there to talk over and spend time with them and to see on the ground and to pray about uh, developing a long-term partnership uh, with those church planters and perhaps others as time goes on there in Portland. And so hopefully, by God's grace, if things go as we expect them to go, uh, there will be a, a larger trip uh, available for you to go on a mission trip there to Portland, Oregon. So please pray for us as we seek the Lord's will and as we spend time there uh, learning more about what's happening at Eastbridge Church and in Greater Portland as far as church planting goes. Well, if you have your Bibles open there to John chapter 20, if you would please stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, 
Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, even now I pray that you would move in our hearts that we might receive this word of yours and be changed by it today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The death of the Son of God was the darkest hour in human history. The darkness of human sin, which was so prevalent already, overshadowed the light of the world, the light which had come into the world. The wickedness of man's pride, his vanity, his thirst for power, his disregard for God's desires, his all-encompassing quest for self-preservation and self-glorification. Man's wickedness, man's pride placed God's glorious Son in the ground by killing Him. Seemingly, The world had been left to its darkness. Adam's sons had finally and fully, it would seem, chosen to embrace the darkness once and for all. The prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself, it seemed, had had the final say. Our great enemy death that haunts each and every one of us in its undefeated, unmitigated glory, continued its reign. The man of truth, the man of life, the very way to God, the man of the light, the hope of the ages, the yes and amen of God, the agent of creation, the very wisdom of God in the flesh. lay in the cold darkness of the tomb, despised, forsaken, beaten, spat upon, humiliated, destroyed, cast aside, left alone. And as the darkness of the death of the Son of God encapsulated the world, encapsulated the lives of the disciples, felt overwhelming, felt unbeatable. On the first day of the week, 
on what we now know as the Lord's Day, in the midst of this overwhelming darkness, both figurative and literal, something happened. Something happened. God's light had been overshadowed, but not overcome. The heart, which had pumped pure and infinitely worthy blood, began to beat again. Now, as Andrew Peterson says, the blood that bought us peace with God is racing through his veins. The lungs, which had breathed out their last, which had cried out, it is finished. They begin to draw breath again. His eyes open. His limbs reanimate. He stands and he takes the covering which had covered his face and he folds it and sets it aside in the very Israel of God. God's yes and amen. The answer of all of God's promises. The bearer of the curse. The son of David. The second Adam. The hope of the world. The joy of the nations stepped out from the grave as proof positive that He, Jesus of Nazareth, whom we crucified, is now both Lord and Christ. It's proof that the devil had not won, but instead that he had been disarmed and put to open shame through Christ. It was proof that God was not allowing His Holy One to undergo decay, but instead had raised Him up in power and in glory. It was proof that though the darkness seems to win the day, it does not prevail. It was proof that though death seems to reign in our mortal bodies, there is one who has been to death and came out on the other side glorious overpowering death, defeating death. Today, brothers and sisters, we turn our attention to the resurrection of the Son of God. Just this very week, I've read an article about the Church of England, Anglican Fellowship's ambassador, so to speak, to the Vatican. And in a sermon years ago on Easter Sunday of all things, he had preached that Christianity needs to be set free from a requirement to believe in the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. He said what what matters most is that the disciples felt the presence of Jesus after he had died. And that's what matters most and that's what should mean the most to Christians today. But brothers and sisters, I want you to know that if something didn't happen that first Easter, if, if, as Carl Henry once famously asked Carl Barth, if there was nothing to report on the first Easter morning, if nothing actually happened here, if, if this is a mythologization of, a warm, warm, of warm memories of a former teacher, if that's all that we're looking at here, brothers and sisters, I suggest, that we find a realtor and we sell this place. And we go on about our lives and go do something else with our time. But, but if this is true, if something did happen, if the, our Lord Himself did in fact raised from the dead, and we recognize that it changes everything. We need to double down on what we're doing. We must 
be changed if this is true. And I believe it is true. Because of this fact, we're gathered here today to worship. To, to offer our praises and worship. What I would argue the most valuable commodity in the cosmos is worship. And we're here today to worship a carpenter who lived 6,600 miles from here 2,000 years ago. That's an odd thing to do if somebody had a warm feeling 2,000 years ago. Because of this fact, we're gathered here to worship God's day and not yesterday. We worship as Christians on the Lord's day and not traditionally on what we would call the Jewish Sabbath day precisely because every Sunday for a Christian is Resurrection Sunday. Every week, 52 times a year, we come together on the Lord's day to gather with the Lord's people because Jesus rose from the dead. Because of this fact, we have brothers and sisters in the world even now in chains. Even now, more than likely, being tortured. Refusing to accept release because they believe that the resurrection of Jesus promises them a better life and a better world to come. Because of this fact, just yesterday, I stood by a casket that had the body of one of God's precious saints in it. And I was able to speak to a family and to friends and to others and offer hope and life in a time that for many of us at times seems like a place where there's no life and no hope. Because of this fact, Christians are hopeful, joyful, singing, jubilant people in a world littered with death. Christians are a resurrection people. This is what defines who we are. This is what defines what we do. This is our very lives. They are wrapped up inextricably with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lots of people were crucified. Jesus was crucified between two other men. Plenty of people in the ancient world claimed to be messiahs and deliverers, claimed to be Christ's. Jesus, there are plenty of Jesuses in the world when this happened, and yet there is only one Jesus Christ, precisely because He is the Son of God. And we know He is the Son of God precisely because God raised Him from the dead. Brothers and sisters, I, I testify to you this morning, you must do something with the resurrection. You must do something with the resurrection. Unfortunately, there are some who will reject the claims of the resurrection. There are others who will embrace it. There are others who will try to remain neutral, disinterested, dispassionate observers of a random historical phenomenon that, though tricky, seems not to impact me very much. Brothers and sisters, that is a response in and of itself. This morning, I want to show you three simple reactions to the resurrection of the Son of God. What should we do? How should we react? Let's just take a, a walk through the first Easter morning and see what we can learn and apply. Three reactions then this morning, three points, three reactions to the resurrection of the Son of God. Here's the first point this morning. Here's the first point this morning. The risen Lord warrants simple faith. The, the, the risen Lord warrants simple faith. 
On the first day of the week, verse 1 tells us, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I, I believe the fact that John displays to us Mary and the Gospels display to us women going first to the tomb is a, is a sure sign of the authenticity of the New Testament. That they are reporting events that actually happened. Because in this day and age, unfortunately, for example, the testimony of a woman wouldn't have been admissible in court. It was not seen as a, a full authority. And so that they are demonstrating and showing that women arrive first, I believe, shows it's, it's not a fact you would make up. If you were sitting down trying to create a, a sealed up, airtight, watertight case for the resurrection in the first century, this is the last thing you would have done. And certainly beyond that, if Mary Magdalene had the reputation that some of us think she might have had, based on what we see in the text, even more so, this would have been the wrong choice for a fabrication. And yet, here we have it. She went while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and, they, and I do, we do not know where they have laid him. Some people see a discrepancy between here and the synoptic gospels because they'll describe more than one woman, but you'll notice Mary says we. So just because John doesn't describe that there were multiple women doesn't mean that they weren't there. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I, I believe that's the very author of this gospel, John, uh, the disciple, the apostle. And I don't know if this was just kind of one last dig at Peter or what. Uh, just, just, in co just so everyone knows, all you, I know Peter's kind of first and foremost, but guess who's faster? I, I don't know if that's what it is, or, or, but the reality is this is just sort of one of these incidental details that I believe breeds in me at least a confidence in the authenticity of the report. John got there first, and yet he arrives there first, he peers into the tomb, but he doesn't go straight in. And I don't know if that's out of a respect and reverence for the dead or what, but Peter, though slower, as soon as he gets in, what does Peter do? He bursts right in there. It's Peter. And what do they see? He went into the tomb, he saw the cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also tomb first, also went in, and he saw and what? He believed. Now listen, this is interesting. I, I, I want to really focus on this verse for just a moment here. What does he say? He went in, and he saw, and he believed. Then verse 9, For as yet... They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. We learn a few things here, right? It's almost like John is saying that he did believe and didn't believe, isn't it? It almost feels confusing. Uh, some critics of the text would say that, that, well, does he believe or does he not believe? If he doesn't understand the scriptures, but that's exactly why I, I've said that the, the risen Lord warrants simple faith. Simple faith, a simple trust. In Jesus, I believe that's what John has here. He sees that the Lord's not there, and he believes, even though he hadn't understood yet from the Scriptures. 
that Jesus had to rise from the dead, he believed immediately that Jesus was alive. Now, Jesus had told them they would rise from the dead, but he didn't understand all the ins and outs of it. He didn't have a developed apologetic. He wasn't at a place where he's able to write some of the theology that he's able to write, for example, in his letters or even include here in his gospel or later include in the Revelation. He doesn't, hasn't developed all these things. He sees that the Lord is not there, and he believes. And brothers and sisters, as a pastor, as a preacher in the world today, I want you to know that I believe that a, a simple faith is all that's required to know God, to trust Jesus, to go to heaven. I don't think you have to have a complex understanding of apologetics to go to heaven. I, I don't think that you have to have the Romans road memorized to go to heaven. I don't think you need to be able to, to articulate a Pauline theology of justification. Some of y'all are like, whoo, praise the Lord for that. To go to heaven. A simple faith, a trust in Jesus. He saw, he believed, and he'll dedicate the rest of his life, he and Peter both, to, to showing that the Scriptures taught that Jesus needed to be raised from the dead. You see, I, I think all that's required is a simple faith. But I do believe a simple faith grows. I think it deepens. I think it develops over time. I, I think fades a seed, a, a seed. I think Jesus calls it a mustard seed for a reason. And so an authentic, genuine seed, though simple, turns into something oftentimes much more complex. At the core of what we are, we have a simple faith. It grows, it develops over time, but faith, in its simplest and purest form, I believe, is all that's required to know God. Second point I want you to know is this. I believe that the risen Lord finds those who seek Him. The risen Lord finds those who seek Him. I had a friend years ago who uh, told me he wanted to believe in God. He said, I, I really want to believe in the Lord. And I said, okay. So we met, met together, read books together over and over and over again. And, and every question he had, I answered. I mean, if he had a question and I didn't know it, I would look it up. And I just spent a lot of time answering this guy's questions. And one day we sat and I said, well, man, brother, what's keeping you from believing at this point? And he said, I just really believe. I want to know God. And I believe he'll... he'll Reveal himself to me. He'll, he'll show himself to me if he wants me to believe. And I said, what do you think he's been doing for the last six or eight weeks? We've been meeting together. Every single, every single thing that kept you from believing in Jesus, you've got a good answer for now. What, what, what question do you feel like you're going to come up with that's going to keep you? God has, has, has used his word and he's used the truth to help you see these things. I, I really do believe that this is the case, that the risen Lord finds those who Seek him. Now Mary comes back. She, she, she comes back to the tomb. Verse 11. She stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped in to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. 
which means teacher. Mary was the first to learn, but certainly not the last to learn, that longing to see Christ, longing to know Jesus, longing to see the Lord does not go unrequited for long. She wanted to see the Lord. She was at the right place to see the Lord. And it didn't take long for the Lord to say her name, Mary. Some of you may have spent years of your life longing to know God, wondering, how can I know God? Struggling. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, the risen Lord finds those who seek Him. And not only that, but I want you to know this. You can have all of the Lord that you want. His his resurrection is not a temporary thing. It's not something that that we have to, 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 to hurry up and get as much of as possible. No, brothers and sisters, you can have as much of the Lord as you want. His resurrection is permanent. He's always there and available to us. Notice what he says to Mary. I suppose when Mary sees him, I suppose she dropped down on her knees, I, I don't know for sure, and grabbed his feet. Now, I've got three kids, and I know what it's like to have that happen. I've been known to walk through the house with a, a child on each leg, and it's not easy to walk. I, I, at some level or another, I think Mary has grabbed the Lord. And some, when they look at this text, thinks this means... Uh, something like Jesus is saying something about uh, you can't touch my glorified body or until I ascend to the Lord, you can't do this or whatever else. I I don't think that's the point at all. I I want us to really look at the text. I want you to to see the context. He says to her, do not cling to me. In other words, Mary, you're going to have to let go here because I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and my Father and your Father to my God and you're God. Mary goes and tells them. I, I, I think what Jesus is saying is, you don't have to sit here and grab on to me. You don't have to cling to me right now. I am going to the Father. You'll have me. I'm, gonna, I'm yours now. This is not the context you need me in. I, I've got a mission to carry out, and you've got a mission to carry out. Go tell the others. We've got some business to handle. This is permanent. You can have as much of me as you want, but this is not the way you want me. There's still business to be handled. This isn't temporary. Go tell the others. I believe the Lord finds those who seek Him. Some of you, even now, may be seeking the Lord. And today, as you hear this text, as you read this text, my prayer, my hope for you is that you today would encounter the risen Christ. That you would meet Jesus for the first time. I hope even now that you hear the word of the Lord whispering your name. And that you can turn to him and say, Rabbi, he's there. He waits for you. That is precisely why he raised from the dead. is so that we can put a simple faith in him so that we can receive the one who our soul longs for. And there may be some of you this morning who don't realize you're longing for Christ when you are. You wonder why this world has not satisfied you. As you seek Him today, 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 would you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ? Prophet Jeremiah talks about Israel going after these broken cisterns that don't contain good water but contain poor water. Jesus said, I am am the water of life. 
Anyone who drinks me will never thirst again. Brothers and sisters, you can know Jesus no matter what this world has found lacking in your satisfaction. Jesus finds those who seek Him. And finally, final point this morning is this. The risen Lord motivates our mission. Your first response to Jesus, the primary response we all have to Jesus, obviously is simple faith. The second thing you need to know about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is He's there for you if you want Him. He's available. That's, that's why God raised Him for the dead. He's available to all of us, and our response ought to be to seek Him. And He will indeed find us. But finally, the risen Lord motivates our mission. The risen Lord motivates our mission. Believers, this is what we're about is proclaiming and sharing this good news. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He he preempts their questions and their discussions about whether it was really him and shows them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, let me back up just a moment and say the doors were locked and it seems as if, some commentators kind of question this, it it doesn't necessarily say explicitly that Jesus simply appeared among them. It doesn't say that he couldn't have gone through the door or knocked or whatever else, but it seems as if Jesus appears. And so it it certainly would make sense of the language that, that if they're afraid and they're locked up and hunkered down in the house and then somebody shows up, It would make sense to lead with peace be with you. That's a good thing. And then to show them it's me, the Lord. And then the Bible says, and then they were glad. So I tend to think that Jesus in his glorified body was able to appear here in their midst. As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We can see here the fact that Jesus, who was sent by God into the world, is now sending his disciples. And so the sent one has become the sender. This is John's sort of version of the Great Commission. He's sending the disciples out on mission. And and I hope each and every one of you here, I hope you're all good Baptists and you know the Great Commission. You know that God has called us to be on mission, to go out and reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that your neighborhoods and my neighborhood count as part of what God wants to reach among all the nations of the world. But we see something else that happens. We see a sort of foreshadowing of what would happen at Pentecost as Jesus breathes on the disciples and and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. We see that Jesus is empowering the mission of the disciples by sending, through sending, the Holy Spirit to the ones who are sent. The Spirit would empower the Lord's mission. We also see we've been given a mission that means something. We've been given a mission that means something. I don't believe that Jesus is giving them here in verse 23 authority to forgive sins or to withhold forgiveness. Obviously, that's, that's not our authority. What Jesus is saying, if you, if you were to look at this in kind of its original language, you would see the way that this is phrased shows us 
when he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That is, you're confirming something that's already happened. When you tell somebody their sins are forgiven, you know what? They're really forgiven. And if you tell somebody that they're not forgiven, they're really not forgiven. Why is that? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As long as our message lines up with the Bible, we've got a message that really means something. Now, he's not saying I can walk through here and say, yeah, you're forgiven, you not so much. We can't do that. But what can I say? I can stand here in this pulpit every Sunday and say, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, what do I tell you every Sunday? You will be saved. If I tell you that God will forgive you, I can authentically say with the authority of the scriptures if you will turn from your sins Jesus will forgive you and I can authoritatively say with the authoritative nature of the scriptures every single Sunday if you refuse to put your trust and faith in Jesus there is no hope for you your sins will not be forgiven hell awaits you if you do not put your trust in Jesus the resurrection of Jesus Christ has given us a message that really means something And don't we need a message that really means something? We do. People are guilty. People are struggling. There's really a heaven. There's really a hell. And we need a message to take to sinners that really means there really was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. He really was the Son of God. He really was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He really did die. He really did get put in the grave. And praise God, He really did did raise from the dead. He really is alive. And each and every one of us can look and see the risen Lord and know that we must put our faith in Him, that He finds those who seek Him. And we have a mission that God has given us because we have a risen Lord. We have a message that means something. I want to offer an invitation this morning you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, this altar is open to you today. Jesus is alive and I believe He's here in our presence and I think He's ready to forgive you if you'll repent of your sins and turn to Him in faith. Forgiveness awaits you. He may be a believer. He may say, Pastor, I've not been believing and living out the resurrection like I should. This altar is open to you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his gospel. And most importantly, Lord, we thank you for the resurrection of the Son of God. And God, I pray that we'll each and every one of us see the way this impacts our, our lives and the way this impacts our church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.